my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. This was a cry of a young man, the young king of Israel, that needed the touch of the old man. Needed the touch of the old prophet, the old bow. Needed to impart something to the crooked arrow. Hello, my name is TJ Wade and you're listening to the Old Bows and Crooked Arrows podcast. This is a podcast in which we sit down with experienced or old ministers and learn. Sit down, get a cup of tea. How about get a cup of coffee? Some nice strong coffee grounds. Sit down, slurp, put your headphones on and listen. And let's increase in understanding. God bless you. In Jesus' name. I'm sitting down with my pastor, Pastor Jeff Wells. This is the Old Bows and Crooked Arrows podcast. And today, we're going to dive in. And we're really going to see how to shoot a bow correctly. <laughs> You'll read in the story of Elijah and Joaz when Elijah was showing Joaz how to shoot. And so in the same way, I want old, not old, <laughs> but ex- let's say experienced, experienced ministers to help me as I grow. So... Anyways, who who is Jeff Wells? Well, uh, TJ, I've uh, been a pastor for over twenty years, I suppose. And um, but as far as w- who I identify as, uh, I'm a, I'm a husband to my wife Tara and a father to my three children Macy, Riley, and Kaylee. And again, I've uh, been a pastor here in Dexter since 2013. So where did you where did you start? So <clears throat> the beginning, yeah. Um, start as a pastor. Well, as a pastor, I began uh, began pastoring in Marble Hill, Missouri, uh, back in nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine uh, was so that's been uh, so that's that's why um, characterized. I'm the old bow here, right? So uh, <laughs> I'm the crooked arrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, nineteen ninety nine is when I started pastoring. Um, let me give a little bit of a background kind of to where that where I come from um, I was of course not raised in an apostolic uh, setting my, but I've been around ministry my whole life my dad pastored um, my entire life uh, I was actually I was born in the junior year of his uh, of his Bible college the junior of the Bible college out in okay. Colorado Springs Colorado it's a Nazarene uh, Bible college so I was born his junior year and then from then on, I've always been around ministry. Yeah. The interesting, or you know, in my in my my life is when Dad left Bible College in 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 Colorado, 1976. His first um, ministry opportunity. It, it wasn't a full time. Well, it was a full time ministry, but he was an associate pastor, and it was at Malden, Missouri. Yeah. So we come from Colorado to Malden, Missouri. And the interesting thing about that is the church that he was an associate pastor in 
today that building is a United Pentecostal Church. Wow. Uh, Brother Bobby Moore, the pastor there yeah. in, in Malden, they the, the Nazarene Church had closed, and so they purchased that building. And um, you know, I, I I don't remember this because I was only I was only two years old at the time. But Dad made a statement. He said back then that once he left Southeast Missouri, he would never come back. <laughs> well, you don't ever say never yeah. uh, with yeah. with uh, anything, of course, with God. But long story short, um, about. I guess oh, almost about 11 or 12 years after that, uh, Dad, we moved to Bernie, Missouri, and that's where he was the Nazarene pastor. And I was I was 12 years old when we uh, moved to Bernie. I was in seventh grade. And um, when it comes to Pentecost, I really didn't know anything. Didn't even know it existed. Um, I didn't realize it, but in I lived in Toledo, Illinois for a... Um, <clears throat> short period of time and I lived just catty cornered from the United Pentecostal Church in Toledo wow did not even know it was that <laughs> and the kind of a <clears throat> funny story is I I had a crush on a girl her name was Wendy and I, I remember she you know always had long hair she always wore dresses but I I knew nothing about that uh, hmm. my dad was raised in Mattoon Illinois which has a rather large uh, Pentecostal Church there uh, brother Dowdy and again, I, I was not aware of Pentecost at all. I was in sixth grade then, and I had a, a young young man on, on my on my basketball team. And his name was Matt, and he, he wouldn't wear shorts. He always wore sweats. And of course, yeah. I, I didn't even know anything about Pentecost. So I remember asking Matt, you know, hey, Matt, what's, what's the deal? Why don't you wear shorts? And he would tell us that he had a skin disease. <laughs> and he wasn't allowed to wear. He, so he had to wear. And I, I believed it because that's. Yeah. I didn't know anything different. And then again, years later, uh, myself and my brother and others, we are playing in a basketball tournament in at IBC Indiana Bible College, and our first game is against Matt Toon. Wow. And Matt was on that team. Wow. And so I walked up to him and said, "Matt, you never had a skin disease, did you?" And he looked at me. Of course, it had been years later. Yeah. And uh, he recognized me, and, and, you know, at the time, he's like, I just didn't know what to say. So, so yeah, um, when we come to Bernie, Dad was Nazarene pastor. And, and I guess I can go ahead and kind of share my testimony a little bit, because yeah. what brought me to this, when I was probably seven, eight years old, um, I just, I've always had a desire, always had a, a hunger for God. And, uh, and I've shared my testimony many times, but we were in a revival service in the Nazarene church, and the evangelist, every time he gave an altar call, he would give the same altar call. He would say, if you, know, if you feel the Lord tugging at your heart, come to the altar. And again, I'm seven, eight years old. I go to the altar, and I'm just weeping. I'm crying. Uh, and we repent. You know, we, we, we pray the sinner's prayer. And uh, as, as, as I said, we accept the Lord as our Savior. So that night, I was able to stay up late, eat popcorn with the evangelist, and we celebrated the... The, that experience, but the, the very next night, uh, we go back, of course, and same evangelist, and he gives the same altar call. The Lord's tugging at your heart. I want you to come to the altar. Well, I, he was tugging, so I went back, and I, I went to the altar, and I'm weeping. I'm crying, and that evangelist comes up to me, and, and I'll never forget. He said, he said, young man, what have you done in these last 24 hours to cause you to repent like you're repenting? And I remember looking up at him. And look, shrugging my shoulders and saying, I, I don't know what I've done. All I know is you said, yeah. 
if he's tugging yeah. to come down and, and he was tugging. So that began, even in those early years, began a, a journey to where I would, I wanted to find more. Um, I was told that, you know, we had everything, but I just felt like I was missing yeah. something. And so before I ever knew what a Pentecostal church was, um, 13, 14 years of age, I'm noticing things in scripture. I'm noticing where people were baptized in Jesus' name. Yeah. And I would always go to my dad and say, Dad, what's what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And dad dad never shut me down. He, you know, he would just say that he really really didn't understand himself. And then I of course I was always told the Holy Ghost was given in Acts chapter two and that it ended. There was no more. Yeah. But then I read in Acts chapter ten where uh those who came with Peter mm-hmm. heard them speak with tongues like they like they received the Holy Ghost like we did. They heard them speak with tongues. So, so I, anyway, I started thinking, okay, there's got to be something more to this. Well, in the meantime, I'm getting a little older, and I'm noticing some people in my school, which happens to be my wife and her family. Yeah, and um, I, I was always way too backward. I would never, I would never start a conversation. Uh, you know, I was too shy and. I was hoping they would ask me to come to church sometime, but I would, you know, I would yeah. never invite myself because dad and I, we would, <clears throat> before we, t- before I turned 16, uh, after church on Sunday night, we would leave and, and he let me drive the car to the store and we would always go by the Pentecostal church there in, in town. Yeah. And I remember on many occasions asking dad, dad, what, you know, looking over there at the church, what, what do they, what do they believe? You know, here they're going, they're still having church. We've been yeah. out of church for 30 minutes and dad would always tell me, he says, son, I really, I don't know for sure. And uh, anyway, long story short, whenever, whenever um, I was out at the park, the city park, playing basketball, and my, my wife, at that time, again, just a, an acquaintance at school, and she came up to me, because my wife, does, she's not a shy person at all, and I'll never forget, she, she came up to me, and she asked me, hey, we're having revival, uh, actually, we're having revival with, with our sectional presbyter now, Brother Sharon. Yeah. At that time, he was just an evangelist. And he, uh, so she invited me, which is, which is all I, I needed. I, all I needed was an invitation. And, but that night, my dad probably preached the longest he's ever preached on Sunday night. And then brother Sharon didn't preach long at all. And when I pulled up into the parking lot, they were dismissing. And I oh. thought, oh man, I missed my opportunity. And, but then my wife, Tara, um, she said, well, we have church on Tuesday night. Why don't you come back Tuesday night? Well, I thought, man, that'd be great. So I, I go back on, on Tuesday night. Of course, it was a midweek Bible study. But you got to understand, the church that I'd come out of was very reserved. There wasn't um, outward worship. Um, I, I can remember one one or two times there's a lady we had in the service that she would she would shout. It would scare everybody to death because it just was very <laughs> uncommon. But I, I get there, and they, they position me in the middle. And I find out later that this was kind of a strategy yeah. of theirs because, you know, the church I was raised in, we had a piano and an organ. That was it. Well, there they had piano, organ, drums, guitar. I mean, it was loud, yeah. sound system, and people just getting up and shouting. And I mean, it was, it was different. Mm-hmm. And and part of me was like, oh, what have what have I got myself into? Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really remember a lot that went on that service. Uh, not even really sure what Brother Lewis taught on the pastor. Um, but at the altar call. Um, this is where it kind of all comes together. 
at the altar call, Brother Lewis gave, gave an altar call that he had never given before, and to my knowledge, has never given it since. Wow. As we're all standing there, here I am, I'm, I'm 16, almost 17 years old, and Brother Lewis, as we're standing, he says, if there's anybody here, and you have felt the Lord tug at your heart, wow. right then, I felt the Lord, I mean, even though, I mean, I was in a very... Uh, it was it was kind of awkward because it was so different, mm-hmm. but I knew God had led me to that point. And I remember that night I went to the altar and I cause I'd been on this journey. I'd been searching. I'd been seeking for some answers. And I remember kneeling down at that altar and just weeping and crying. And of course, <laughs> uh, back then the the altar etiquette uh, it was like you know fresh meat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, here's somebody in the altar, you know, needing the Holy Ghost. And I mean, I had them on both sides of me. I had one guy shaking the life out of me and telling me to hang on. Another guy Highness. saying, let go. And, but, but nothing deterred me because I knew God had ordained that moment. And so that's yeah. where it began. That was in September of um, about 1990. One, I believe, and all you needed was an invitation. All you needed was invitation, man. That's all. I mean, I and the thing is, again, I didn't even know what I was looking for for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it was about. I didn't know about Pentecost. I didn't even really know that my wife and him were Pentecost. Um, I, I guess I had noticed their sign, so I guess I put that together. But, but it wasn't. And honestly, yes, they 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 look different. They dress different. But that really wasn't what got my attention. There was just something kind of their their aura (laughs) i noticed that and i knew that i knew i felt like i didn't have it and and again god had kind of put me on this journey um where i had seen things in scripture and so when brother lewis gave that altar call god just like the the light shined on me said hey you're where you need to be and it wasn't very long after that that the questions i would had given to my dad and and my dad just wasn't really sure about them. Brother Lewis was able to open the Bible up and say, "This is where this is what you're talking about here." Yeah. And so um, it just kind of come together. So that was in September, and then uh, I received the Holy Ghost the following January, January the twelfth, nineteen ninety two, and then I was baptized in Jesus' name in June of that same year. Wow. Yeah. All you needed was an invitation. All I needed was an invitation. invitation. I thought many, many times, how many more is out there? That are just waiting just for an invitation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, going back, you received the Holy Ghost. When did you say first feel a call to serve, a, fall, a call to um, ministry? Um, I'm I'm kind of like I'm kind of like those. I've heard several kind of explain that they don't have a a particular moment where God called them. And I'm like that. I don't really have a particular moment, but I also can't ever really remember a time when ministry wasn't a part of my my thought process. Uh, when I was a little kid at the Nazarene Church, Dad and them, they had a children's service. And I was probably seven, eight years old at the time. And so the children of the service was going to lead the whole thing, take care of the music, pass the offering plates. Wow. And I was the one chosen to preach. And I had this uh, brown three-piece. I had a double, I mean, a vested suit with a clip-on tie. I had my shoes that, I love my shoes because they made noise. Anyway, I was weird. I was a weird kid. But they they put the pulpit down on the 
on the floor to where I could stand on the platform and still see over it. Yeah. And I, I preached about Jonah. Basically, I just told the story of Jonah. But that that kind of, I don't know, I, I've always been, uh, anytime we, you know, a lot of times with kids in the church, we would play church. And I was always yeah. the preacher. So it's kind of, it was something that was always there. Um, as I got older, of course, my intentions were not to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, as a pastor's son, you see, you see the good and the bad. You live in a glass house and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was definitely something I couldn't shake. And uh, so for me, uh, it really began as a as a child. And I just had a heart for God. I, I mean, honestly, I was that I was that kid that just wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. Yeah. And uh, I was the kid that even in the times when I was in junior high and kind of going through a rebellious uh, time, I couldn't, I couldn't jump in and be completely rebellious because conviction, I could not, I mean, I would, I would be in areas that, that weren't good, but I just, I I couldn't enjoy myself because I had that conscience. God and God protected me through all that too. So it it began as a, as a young child and, and then developed as I got older. Okay. So, Describe how God, you, you first pastored in Marble Hill. Mm-hmm. Describe how God opened up that door for you to get in that position. Okay. Well, um, like I said, I got, I got the Holy Ghost in 1992, uh, January. And then it wasn't, but maybe a few months after that, since I had the Holy Ghost, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what qualified me, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, hey, you're going to be the youth pastor now, or the youth leader. Okay. Uh, I didn't know much of anything. I was still learning, but I had a, I had a hunger. I mean, I had a hunger for God. So I started leading the youth and we'd have youth services on, on Thursday nights and I would preach and brother Lewis would, would have me preach on Tuesday nights, um, on, on several occasions. Well, as we, as my wife and I, we, we, we got, we got married. Um, we knew God was calling us into something. To be honest, my my heart's desire, my my desire, is I wanted to be an evangelist. Yeah. I wanted to evangelize, and so <laughs> I went out and got me some cards made. You know, evangelist Jeff Wells. <laughs> I think I had on there reaching the lost with Pentecost. Yeah, I mean it was pretty cheesy. Uh, I wrote a letter to all, you know, like a generic letter introducing myself. I sent them out to every pastor I could think of. Uh, in, in the southeast Missouri area, <laughs> and all those all those letters, not one callback, not one. Not one. Uh, now I had some that you know that would would invite me to preach, you know, just as a as a as a favor. You, you got to have a place to start. So, but but I, Brother Lewis, you know, kind of sat me down and 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 really spoke into my heart and said, you know, Jeff, I really don't think you're going to be a, an evangelist. I think God's calling to be a pastor. And uh, he's given you a heart for that. And so anyway, we we kind of accepted that and thought, okay, God, if that's what you want to, you know, we, we want to do what, whatever you want. Well, nothing really came open. And I really wasn't looking per se. Um, I wouldn't, I, I've never had to knock a door down. I've never had, I've always honestly have prayed God to open the doors. I've never had to go find a job. God's always brought that to me. Um, but th- in this in this case, we were at youth convention. Uh, it was up in Columbia, and we were, uh, my wife and I, we were in the van. We had we had young people. Uh, we was getting ready to go home, and her cousin just stopped by the van and said, hey, 
uh, pray for my mom and dad's, um, or my grandma and grandpa's church in Marble Hill. Their pastor just resigned. And uh, my wife looked at me, and I looked at her, and it was just like in a moment, we thought, I wonder if that's an opportunity. And again, we hadn't given it no thought. And so that was in, that was April, that was early April. Well, we didn't have a license at the time. And the church in Marble Hill is affiliated, so you have to have a license. So I don't, again, this has been several years ago. I might forget some of the details. But from, from April the 5th, I think it was, our first Sunday in Marble Hill was May 16th. Hmm. Fast. It happened early. <laughs> so we had to get a license. Well, um, just so happened that the, the, the district board was going to be meeting early part of May. I'd already went and interviewed at the church. I'd already went and what they call tried out. Uh, but I couldn't, you know, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't have an, an election because I didn't have a license yet. Yeah. And so I, uh, we had to meet the, the district board, all, all of them at this long table. <laughs> and I, I know nobody. Again, I'm only, I'm 23. So I've only had the Holy Ghost just a few years. You know, I, I, uh, my wife had been raised in this. She knew pretty much everybody. And so I'm I'm sitting at the corner of the table, and you know some of our maybe listeners will, will will know or remember Brother Chambers, Stanley Chambers. He was the at one time he was the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. Well, then he was the district superintendent of the Missouri district, and at this time he was an honorary board member. Well, Brother Chambers was a very stoic man. He didn't show a lot of emotion. Can be very intimidating. He had just had surgery on his nose. And so he had this huge bandage on his nose, and he is sitting less than 10 inches from me. And the whole time, he's just staring at me, you know. Uh, I mean, I was very intimidated. Um, but we met the board. They, I just shared my testimony. I, I kind of shared what I, what I just shared now, yeah. what God had done, what I felt God was going to do, and how God was going to reach my family. And, uh, man, they, 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 you know, they liked us, and so we got a license. And then we, our first Sunday there, was May the 16th of 1999. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And you were there how long at Marble Hill? Uh, we were there almost 13 years. Um, and was every one of your kids born? Uh, well, at that time, Macy would have been, she would have been three. Uh, Riley had just, he was born in January of 99, so he was only six months old, five months old. Of course, Katie hadn't been born yet. Um, so that was us. We, we went there. My wife was not, my wife sang. She led the youth choir at Bernie when we were the youth leaders, but she really never played the piano. And mm -hmm. so we go there. There's nobody plays music, and she knew how to play Amazing Grace. <laughs> and it was an old upright piano that really wasn't in tune very well. Right. And so uh, she just uh, <laughs> she played everything at the with you know with the tune of Amazing Grace for a while. I mean, the Lord the Lord touched her and anointed her. But at first, I and mean, we didn't. You know, I ran the sound, I played the drums, I led the service. It yeah. was, you know, but the Lord blessed us at Marble Hill. Yeah. What is one thing you wish you would have known earlier? Oh, my. One thing? In Marble Hill. Oh, brother, we, a, a lot of it, we were we were very young. I was, like I said, I was 23 when I was elected, almost 24. Um, there are some things that only, I think, only experience can teach you. Um, and so, so. I would have liked to have had more experience, but, um, you know, there's, there's so, there, there were just so many things I didn't know, but I didn't know that I didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the congregation that was very, very kind to us. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one thing that going into this, I think that helped me tremendously 
I've always had a high respect for my elders. Um, I've always allowed men in my life to have veto authority. Uh, and, and, you know, my, my pastor could tell me something. I didn't question it. I just, I would do what he said, even if I didn't understand it. That, I think, saved me a lot. Um, but I think, again, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint one particular thing because a lot of that was just such a lack of experience, man. I'm, you know, here my wife and I, we'd only been married about four years. And we were, we were young. I was 19 when I got married. And, you know, you're, you're, you're going in to try to deal with marriage. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I honestly, and I, and I didn't know. I, there's a lot of stuff I just didn't know. I didn't understand. Uh, you know, and again, thankfully, the congregation there was extremely kind and, and uh, gave us the, 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 the room there to grow. Because a lot of that is you learn as experience, you know, as, as it comes. Um, I think I think if I could p- probably pinpoint one thing, I, I wish, and I, I think part of it just just being a normal twenty three year old kid, uh, you you know you seek affirmation, you're you're looking for someone's approval, and I you know I probably strive for that a little more than I should have to the elders like the the I was by far the youngest. A matter of fact, at that time. I was the youngest pastor in the state of Missouri at that time. Mm. And in our section, I was by far the youngest. And so I was really seeking the approval of some of my peers. And um, I think if I could have held my own identity through through God, I think that would have been more beneficial to me. Yeah. So you said you met your wife mm-hmm. at school in Bernie. So this might go long here but um how you knew that she was the one for you um oh man how just that's an easy one there bro yeah november 1st 1991 (laughs) this is kind of funny we're on our way back from sunday school convention see back then they had a sunday school convention in cape in the arena building and it was always the first of november you'd have i don't know two or three nights of a special service and so we had went there as friends, but on the way home, uh, I was sitting in the front seat with her, and her sister was driving, and uh, we were on our way home from, from the service, and it was about 9 o'clock on November 1st, uh, 1991, and it, it's going to sound awful cheesy, but it is what it is. Uh, I, I, looked, I looked at her, and I, I can't explain it, but man, I knew it. I knew that knew this it. is, this was, yeah, this was going to be my wife, and uh I have no way to prove that. I mean, at that time, of course, I, I knew nothing. Um, we were young. We were way, way young. Uh, at that time, 91, I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. Uh, but I knew it then. And, again, I don't know how to, yeah. you know, it's just because we, you know, it wasn't from that point on that we just, you know, we lived in ever, you know, ever happy ever laughed after we happy ever laughter probably more than anything uh uh she you know but again we were very very young and but we were married december of 1994 so in that perspective you see it went pretty fast Mm -hmm. and uh but yeah i mean my wife and i both even now 26 years later uh we never regret who we married i mean we both agree that we were the one 
one, but we do. There are some regrets as to when, for the fact that we were just so young. Yeah, you know, I mean, at nineteen years old, you need, you don't even know who you are. Yeah, much less trying to find out to know someone else. So, you know that that's that's been some difficulties, but um, but as far as knowing knowing the one, you know, it's hard to. I don't know how to. Exp- yeah. I can't really explain it. It's just something, man. I I knew it right then. So, she has a lineage. Yes. Of Pentecost, and you don't have no. any. I'm first generation. First generation. Yes. She would be, if I'm not mistaken, I think she's fifth. My. And see, the thing is, I was fifth generation Nazarene. Yeah. You know, we were, we were the same. It's fourth or fifth, whichever one it was, we were the same. So, yeah, she has a long, a long lineage and heritage. So was that awkward, you coming in first generation, coming into that family as a... When they're fifth generation, you know, uh, with the Lewis family, no, and and that's because they—that's just who they are. Yeah, I mean, they are the most accepting, loving. Uh, I mean, they became a second family to me really fast. Yeah. Uh, Brother Lewis and and the whole the whole all of them. Of course, I was I was good friends with her brothers. Uh, I spent a lot of time with with uh, both sides, both grandparents. You know, mm-hmm. Brother Lewis's grandma and grandpa pastored in Morehouse, Missouri, for. 40 years, 30 years, and then Sister Lewis's mother, um, Grandma Appleton, spent a lot of time with her. So, no, for, for honestly, it, it just, man, it just seemed to fit so well. Yeah. Uh, you got to have some funny church stories. <laughs> I've heard some of them in Marble Hill. Oh, my goodness. I think I've probably heard a couple from Dexter, too. I know you've got them. Well... I tell you, one of the one of the funniest <laughs> is probably one of the, when I first started preaching. Uh, I think honestly, I think it was the first the first time I got to preach in front of the whole congregation. Okay, on a, it would be a Tuesday night service, and um, I get up and I get up there, and I preach from Acts chapter nineteen, where Paul's at the upper coast of Ephesus, mm-hmm. and he meets the followers of John the Baptist. And anyway, the Bible. The Bible says that, and these men were all about 12. Well, I took that, I interpreted that as meaning that they were 12 years old. And so I preached my my entire message on, you know, no matter what age you are, the Holy Ghost is for you. And I preached everything, I mean, with everything I had. And uh, Brother Lewis, after service, very kindly, he let me know that the error of my interpretation yeah. was off. And, of course, I felt, you know. you got to start somewhere. But it was honest. I mean, I really thought that's what it meant. And, and you know, to my defense, you know, it, it, it sounded that way. You know, I didn't. Anyway, um, that, that was probably the first. I mean, we've had, oh, man, we've had so many just. <laughs> I, it, it, because, you know, before, the, before we started recording, you, you asked me, and I thought my mind, it just goes so many different places because uh, what are some that you may have heard? Maybe you can kind of jog my memory. There was that lady who got arrested for, oh, I don't remember yeah, exactly. We better not tell names. She goes, I think she's still probably bitter because of that. <laughs> yeah, we had a lady that um, <laughs> she had uh, lived right behind the church and, uh, and it was she honestly was innocent. I mean, it was it was it was a it was kind of a mistake, but she'd had a business, and she had closed out her account. But she had missed a six dollar check, 
And so that $6 check bounced. And the deputy uh, there in Marble Hill, and he told us later, he said, man, I was just bored. I was just going through open warrants, and I saw this one, and he said, I thought I knew who this was. And I go to run the warrant, and I realize that I've got the wrong, I, it's not the person I thought. And so it's after Wednesday night service, and they come up to me and say, Pastor, um, Sister So-and-So is getting arrested. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And anyway, so she lived, they live right behind the church and we go there and the lights are on the, the police, the police lights are on. And of course there's no, there's no sirens. And, and they load her up in the front. They let her sit in the front seat, no handcuffs. They take her to, to the sheriff's office. And, uh, I think she calls me and she says, pastor, if, if I don't get, if I don't get bailed out of, out tonight, I, they're going to make, make me stay in jail tonight. And this, you got to understand this lady, you know, she's an older lady. I mean, she is not a criminal. Doesn't even look nothing like a criminal. Yeah. Um, and you got to know me too. I, I I like to have fun. I, I'm a I'm a big I'm a big teaser. So I go and I think it was two hundred dollars. I had to go with take two hundred dollars and, and I I bailed her. The only person I've ever bailed out of jail is this dear yeah. old la- older lady saint. So that was Wednesday night. So fr- so Sunday I went to I went to the mall and I bought a. Uh, one of those orange county jail shirts and presented it to her at church that, that next, by then she was laughing. Now that night she wasn't laughing. She was pretty upset and I can understand, but by Sunday we were all having a good time. <laughs> there's nothing just as quite as funny as church stories. Oh man. Like there's nothing like them. I mean, yes. And they, many times you're, you're, you're left wondering, is that, is that, is that did I just see that? Did that yeah. really happen? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I've again, we've had we've had some that just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, my, my my mind's kind of blank as far as details, but there's, you know, and, I, and I've got some that are you know kind of graphic that I really, yeah, I, can't, <laughs> I can't really share, can't. but but it, but it happens, man. I mean, that's the thing about people; they're they're very un uh, unpredictable. I wish someone would put together a, a series of just talking about funny church stories. Oh yeah, I wish I wish that's something I do. With. I wish I would have took better notes, journaled, <laughs> journaled a lot of those stories. Yeah, because mm. you know now I'm in this you know 20 plus years, and you 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 know I forget I forget the details of some things, and yeah. and I, yeah, it would have done me good to go back and. And think, did that just did that really happen? You know, what's your what's your study process look like? Switching directions here. Well, uh, I I read um, you know my my devotion every day, which basically consists this year I, I do I do a, a plan every year that uh, reads through the Bible. Um, this year I'm doing a chronological, and I found that I do prefer that. Um, and typically, I will uh, I'll switch it to a different translation every year. This year, I'm I'm doing the New King James version. Last year, I did English Standard Version. So I, that's that's where I start off. I start with uh with my devotion. Um, of course, I read and and I and I do I, I I take a lot of notes as I'm reading things that stand out. Like for instance, today I read where. Uh, and this may be common knowledge to scholars, but this is something I had never put together. But that the city of Jerusalem uh, was was actually the city of Jebus, J J E B U S, which where the Jebusites come from. 
And I never, I never knew that. And I'd come across that today. And of course I made note of that, that, um, you know, a lot, and there's, there's so the, the, the word of God is so exhausted. There's so mm-hmm. much, but anyway, I, I'll, uh, I'll keep notes on, on my daily reading. Uh, a lot of my messages will come just from my, my devotion time where a thought will come into, come into my mind or, or I'll maybe do a word search on something. And, and then, uh, my study will go, go more directly to that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, for years I used a program called PC study Bible. It was, a an old program that I, I used and loved it. Well, now the last two years I have, uh, which I've got a MacBook, so I use it's called Logos Bible, and there's you know, and I probably don't even scratch the surface as to what it could do, but it has a lot of tremendous resources as far as researching. I love to research. I love to do word studies. Um, uh, my father-in-law, when I first um, when I first felt a calling to men, when I went to him and said, "Hey, I really feel like God's calling me to, to, to in ministry," he bought me a Thompson Chain Bible, and I still have it, and it. You know, you can you can take a, a word or a subject and just and research it throughout the entire word of, word of God, and so I, I enjoy doing that. So, um, so my my study habits, you know, it starts with devotion, and then, like I said, I will uh, I'll get on a on a word search or a, or a topic, and um, do a lot of study, and then I like to, I listen to a lot of preaching, yeah, uh, and I I get inspired from I mean a lot of lot of preaching that um would just say things in there from a different angle that i yeah. that i was not aware of that sparks another thought what are you, some of your favorite preachers oh my goodness uh bro there's a i loved i love to listen i listen to mark morgan i listen to of course jeff arnold uh jeff arnold is far as just revelational man the things he, he, he can take what would be considered a, a common thought and just expound on it Mark Morgan's very deep. Um, oh goodness, what's the? He's from Indianapolis. He's a Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of his name right now. Anyway, um, he's one of my favorites. Harold Hoffman. Harold Hoffman. Yeah, Sterling Heights, Michigan. Phenomenal. Just a. Uh, he's 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 such a smart man. I mean, you know. When he, when he when he preaches or he teaches, I mean he, he. I was listening. I was listening actually today and yesterday, things statements that he made that really weren't even what he was preaching about, but it was just kind of like off the wall statements. But they were so profound. One of which, which I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this, but he talks about you know what, you know the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. He said, what's the goodness of God? He said, we know, we know what mercy is. What's the goodness of God? Well, he goes and he says, the goodness of God is back the creation of God. So he said, yeah. he said, our problem many times is the reason we need to wait upon the Lord. We got to wait for the goodness of God to come and create. I mean, wow. and that was just an off the wall statement. That was not even his subject. Hmm. And I'm thinking here, it was just, it was profound. Um, but I, of course, Raymond Woodward, I love, I mean, his, his, material is just wonderful uh, uh brother tony i listen to a lot of him um and then there's this oh, i'm having i'm having one of those old bowls moments here uh oh goodness gracious um 
he pastors in Indianapolis. It's not Brother I mean, Brother Mooney is a great preacher too. I, I listen to a lot of him. Wayne Huntley, another great preacher. I mean, we could go on and on, yeah. bro. Got any old timers on there? Uh, you know, I've, I found a podcast um, that is basically they're all old. The old I was listening to a. Uh, oh man, I wish. Now I'm showing my age now, brother. Um, mm. Of course, I got Nona Freeman. I listened to her. There's a yeah. uh, I'm a uh, Kilgore. Yeah, James Kilgore. Goss, brother, brother, uh, brother Goss. Um, yeah, my, my mind, I can't even think of, but yeah, they're primarily, they're all older. I listened to a message today that sister Mickey Mangan preached back. Well, they had only been married 23 years. It was phenomenal, man. Uh, phenomenal. So, uh, glass last name was glass. I forget. David. I don't know. I really don't know. Again, there's so many, and I and, uh, and on these podcasts, you know, you, I'll be honest with you, I really don't pay attention to the names as much. But I mean, it's a lot of older material. Uh, yeah, good, good stuff. I, I loved, I love to hear the stories of the old pioneers, man. Yeah. The things that they faced, went through, uh, and and uh, you know, faced it with with faith. I mean, you know, there's, I, I, you know, Nona Freeman, of course, her books, if you ever had a chance to read Shouting on the Hills, it is just mind-blowing. Uh, how, well, not just, of course, they're faithless, but just the fact of how faithful God is to us as well. Yeah. Pretty awesome. It's one story. I think it was someone who's related to James Kilgore. Well, anyways, this is back in horse and a wagon days mm-hmm. when you're traveling and preaching. And the horse, I think it was one of the horseshoes slipped out. Well, anyways, they had to put the horse down, and they still had to get to where they were going. Yes. And so the uh, the father of the family, he took the, uh, I guess, the, the yoke of the wagon. I don't know how you – I don't know the terms for it. Yeah. But he t- took the, I guess, the bearings of that wagon and carried his family. Wow. All the way to the place he wanted to go. Wow. Oh, they were go- – God wanted them to go. And it was just amazing, the things they would do oh. that – how submitted they were, not only to elders, but how they submitted their flesh. Oh man, it, it's beyond yeah. belief. But you know, their their very uh, existence depended on it. You yeah. know, the stories that Nona Freeman, her mother Carrie Eastridge, uh, you know, there were things that if if she didn't, if God didn't do it, yeah, they had no other. They, there was no plan B. There was no second choice. Um, you know, that's something I I. I I cherish. I, I don't have that. You know, I don't have the heritage of. You know, like my my grandma was a wonderful, very faithful woman to God. You know, in the Nazarene Church. She ninety nine years old when she died. Um, but to hear the stories, I mean, I, I hear stories of my wife's grandma, Grandpa Lewis, and then her grandma Lewis, her mom and dad, brother and sister Kerr, uh, which started. I think they started the church in Morehouse or. But, you know, the story there is told of a, of a time when a lady was attending the church and her husband would get very angry. And he was, a, you know, he drank. And one night he got, got he was drunk. She come home and, and he told her not to go to church. And she went and he, uh, you know, said, I'm telling you what, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill that preacher. And so he goes wow. down to the church house with a gun 
And he comes to and confronts Brother Kerr. Well, Brother Kerr, standing on the porch of the church, tells everybody else to go on home. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, and as and the guy raises the gun, and my understanding is he pulls the trigger, and the gun goes off. But you know, Brother Kerr's not shot. And all of a sudden, his the, the guy who did who shot the gun, his eyes get real big, and just fear comes over him. He turns around and stumbles and runs away. And Brother Kerr later on, after he had the guy had sobered up, went to him and asked him. He said, "Man, what what happened?" He said, "Well, first of all, my gun, the bullet, it, it discharged, and it's in the it's in the barrel. It's like someone had put their finger and stopped up the barrel." Wow. But he said, "That's not what scared me. What scared me was when I looked at you, Brother Kerr." There were two of the biggest men I've ever seen in my life yeah. stand on both sides of you. And so, you know, those are great stories, yeah. man. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm one, and I've said many times, I, I've never, to my knowledge, I've never seen an angel. Um, I mean, I have, I have many times where God's answered prayer and God's done miraculous things, but, but I've also not been in those situations where, you know, that, Basically, yeah. it's either hey God, either this either this is going to work out or or we're not going to make it, <laughs> you know. And I guess, you know, we get a little spoiled, and you know, we live our lives to to avoid those kind of situations. But it's good to know that you know if those situations ever came up, you know, if He did it for them, He can still do yeah. it for us. He can do it. Absolutely. Speaking of generations, those old. Old, old generations, mm-hmm. old, old people. Um, speaking of the current generation, my my age group, which is I'm 18. So what is one thing you really like that in the upcoming generation and one thing that you think we need to work on? Um, well, I mean, from my observation, I, I, I do generation. Is it Generation Z? Is that what? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Generation Z. Um, I'm a Gen Xer, and uh, but I, I personally, and I, and I think I think this is the primarily the voice of of our movement when it comes to looking at the upcoming generation. It's with it's with a lot of positivity. I mean, I I'm not like thinking the church is in trouble by no means. I I, I think um, the upcoming generation. Um, the fervor, the the hunger, uh, is I mean, is extraordinary. You know, I think that it's something that uh, you know is exciting, um, and I think that's you know. There, so the 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 fervor, the 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 level of faith, uh, believing God. I mean, and I and I can only, of course, I can only attest for. The, those that I'm around, you know, yeah. yourself and others in our church, uh, that I have watched come in that that don't have necessarily a Pentecostal heritage. Um, this has not been passed down to you. You you've come in on your own, and I have watched as God has just, yes, God has done a great work, but it's not. I mean, I mean, obviously, all credit yeah. goes to God, but He has to have something to work with. And I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the clay, if the clay does not yield to the hands of the potter, no matter how great and powerful the potter is, if the clay does not yield, they'll, they'll, you know, there's nothing going to be done. Mm-hmm. So I really feel that you, particularly in your generation, 
as far as yielding yourself to God is, I mean, there's no, there's, you hold nothing back. And I mean, you give it all. And I think that's, which I think God's, God's raising you and your generation up for such a time as this, you know, we're living at the, the latter days in the last few moments. And so I do, I agree. I believe, you know, brother uh, Cunningham at youth Congress telling you, I believe that uh, the, the greater days are ahead of us. And, uh, and I, and I also think that my generation, and I mean, I'm 45 years old. Uh, I, 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 there's nothing more that would thrill me to see you and, and your generation just completely pass me by. You know, there's no, there, there is no animosity to think that, you know, you could be a better preacher, a better, pa- I mean, Hey, I mean, anything I can do to help you and your generation achieve what God's called. That's, I mean, that's wonderful. And I think, I think that also has helped this generation. Um, as far as any, any pitfalls, and I don't know if it's just this generation. I think it's, I think it's the society, the culture we're in. Uh, there's been a lot of, I, I think the need for not just any, this generation, but any, any, any individual to, to submit to an authority. I think, uh, I don't know that we understand the, the value that we have when we have authority over us, the covering. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not about somebody ruling over us and telling, telling us what to do. It's the covering that they provide. Um, the value of that is just more than, um, than we can probably realize, but, and I don't know, you know, I don't know why necessarily, maybe, you know, of course, me coming from the church background that I've, I've been in all my life, I've watched as people get hurt by the church. And I was listening yesterday to a podcast and, and he said, you know, I hear people say I got hurt by the church, but he said, in reality, it was only about three or four people that hurt him. It wasn't the church, yeah, you know, but they associate the whole church with that. And I think, you know, there, there have been some that maybe, you know, pastors have been whatever hurt hurtful or you know puts a bad taste but but i'm telling you you will never go wrong yeah and that's something I don't, and i don't know where it came from so, so much um but it's just something i've always had when i went to my pastor and told him hey, i really feel like god's calling me to ministry and of course you got no brother lewis um yeah. his first reaction was okay well here here's here's your date get ready to preach i didn't preach for a long time uh, he handed me a toilet brush and he said well I need you to scrub these commodes or I need you to whatever. And let me tell you, bro, I did it. Never questioned it. Never even said nothing. I didn't, I just had that desire to serve. And I think God, God has blessed me because of that. And I think that's something that this generation uh, submitting to an authority, letting that covering to be provided, which will uh, enable them to go on. And I think, I think even supersede any generation before them. I'll speak on that a little bit. Sure. Because um, I've only been in church since, I think, two and a half years, mm-hmm. August of 2018. Of course, coming in the church, one of my best friends, um, his aunt, was mm-hmm. a secretary. 
from Bryce and Dorothy as our secretary. And so I was always around them, around them and their family. And I always, I always helped her because I just, I just did. And so I get in the church, get baptized, get saved, of course. Then um, I, 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 I always wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. I've never wanted to be a person who just sat on the sideline, side who always, you know, warmed the benches. I wanted to do something. And so the first opportunity to ever serve or do anything was a VBS. And I remember, I remember those, that, those yeah. VBSs, 2018 VBS, 2019 VBS, but it would be, I mean, you get a church of I don't, 70, 80, I don't know the exact number, but there'd be four or five people down there, mm-hmm. which I know, of course, schedules and everything, but sure, sure, four or five people down there, and I'm looking around, you know, it's Alyssa, it's Dorothy, Bryce, and Bryce's grandma, and me, and a couple others, of course. But I just served, and I was basically, if I could say it, I'm, I'm basically one of Dorothy's slaves, <laughs> if I can be completely honest, any time yeah. and, and serving. And so I continued to do that, just serve, serve, serve. And Sister Wells, she comes to me, and she says, we want you to come play bass. And, of course, I play bass. God's uh, gifted me with um, musical talent. And so I do that for a while, and then I feel to go even farther. Mm-hmm. I remember it was a youth camp, for sure, when that happened. Of course, I, I told you about it. I told Dorothy about it, and it kept going and going and going. And it, it wasn't necessarily like 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 you. You, mm-hmm. you. There wasn't a big moment. It went big, like an angel came down and said, I'm calling you yeah. to preach. I'm calling you to evangelize. I'm calling you to pastor. No, it was just mm-hmm. gradually and serving. And I think of Matthias in the Bible, mm-hmm. in Acts 1 where Matthias didn't necessarily have to do anything big, but he was just there to get put because Judas, he betrayed, and so they Mm -hmm. needed a 12th man to run with him, and Matthias just had to be there. Absolutely. And I've ingrained that, and I I want more of it. I want to do more of it to where I can be used even further. I think if if you're seeking a pulpit, you're going to miss it. Yeah, you miss it. Um, I, you know, I know me personally, um, I always tell people, you know, the, your pulpit ministry is less than 5% of your ministry. Yeah. Uh, it's what it's what's done outside that pulpit. And most people don't have a clue what that is. It's kind of like I, I taught this past midweek about the heart of the foundation and the foundation of a home, which is the most important part of that structure but it's under the ground. You know, nobody decorates yeah. the foundation. Nobody. Can't see it. But the reality is if it's not if it's not strong, everything else doesn't matter. So and I think ministry if it's not built on what you're talking about, serving and a willingness to serve and just a willingness to be available. Yeah. Um God God'll put you in the places you need to be. Yeah. I I've again, I have never in my life I've never asked for anything. The only thing I guess I've done is I did send out evangelist letters yeah. and look what that got me. Not one but, response. Uh, Everything else has come to me yeah. because I honestly, you know, the Bible says that he will order the steps of a righteous man. And I believe that, you know, me making myself available, mm-hmm. um, God has, he's done that for me. I mean, I've, I remember for years I wanted to go overseas. Oh, I just missionaries would come brother. And I would just weep and I would cry and, and uh, didn't know how I'd ever do it. But here, uh, about three years ago, uh, with Brother Guy, I was allowed to go 
and um, and, and and kind of take and again and even there I I, I did preach uh, once or twice, but primarily I was there to serve. I was there yeah. to to be his armor bearer. I was fine with that, man. I that, there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, I think I think if you, it's kind of like I always tell people, money can never be your motivator. You know, if you, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Yeah. It, it takes money. I mean, but God will provide that. Yeah. But that can't be what motivates you. If you'll if you'll get the foundation of your ministry where it needs to be, in serving, being available, God will put you where you where it is that He wants you to be. That's great. We're coming in on about fifty five minutes now which is great, but I'm going to finish up with about two, two or three questions. Okay. One big thing that I struggle with, and I'll be completely transparent, is work ethic. Mm-hmm. I know that's in the gen- this generation. It's just, it's, it's, just, it's just not there that much. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got some, but of course, mostly it's missing. And, but I, I also feel, well, I know, I, I observe that we get a lot of talented people Mm-hmm. but a lot of missing work ethic. Um, could you talk on work, work ethic and, and how, to, how to develop that or how to... Um, well, I don't think it's just a, a generational issue. I think it's a human element issue. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, for me personally, um, you know, as far as a work ethic goes, my first job was a paper route when I was about eight years old. Uh uh, then from then, I you know I've, I've always had, you know now, uh, my parents didn't make me work or anything like that. But I mean, there's something in me I've always enjoyed. I've I've always enjoyed working. Um, something I, I always got satisfaction out of out of really a hard day's work. Um, but then when I when I became a, became a pastor, I I had a full time job. I was a machinist, and actually was here in Dexter. And then we, when we went to Marble Hill, uh, I kept that job, and I went to a kind of a part-time status. And so I would I would pastor and work, drive back and forth. Well, to be honest with you, we our our financial needs were not that large. We we lived pretty simple, mm-hmm. and so I got where you know I I could go full time, and so I did. So I'm full time pastoring. I'm pastoring a church of about forty people. And I'll be honest with you, I struggled because, number one, there's just not a whole lot to do. And so I sat many times in my office wondering, man, what do, what do I do now? Um, again, part of that, too, is I was young. I, you know, I just didn't have a lot of, inf- you know, a lot of understanding. So, but I would, I would struggle with, um, you know, my, when you have a job, they tell you to be at a certain time and you have to clock in. Well, you're accountable to that time clock. Yeah. Well, when you don't have that, and I'm young. I mean, you know, nobody enjoys getting up at the crack of dawn if you don't have to. And so I, I did. I kind of, I kind of uh, wrestled with that for a few years. And it wasn't really until I went back to having to be bivocational, when I would have to juggle a job and pastoring, then I started to really appreciate that opportunity to to be able to give everything I have to to the ministry. And so when I went back to full-time ministry again, uh, of course, that too, and I was a few years older, uh, I would just set the parameters myself and say, this is, this is where I'm going to start. And, and I listened to a, a leadership podcast, Kerry Newhoff, and he actually is, is work, has worked on time management things. And 
as far as setting a schedule and and keeping yourself accountable that that has helped me a lot uh, tremendously well now i'm i'm pastoring but now i'm i'm bivocational again and uh so a lot of a lot of my work ethic is by out of necessity you know i have to start my day very early yeah. if i don't nothing gets done yeah. so uh, but i recently um <laughs> this is just something i've i i felt the lord lead I would always set my alarm for, you know, five o'clock, and uh, I hate getting woke up by an alarm. It just puts me in a bad mood immediately. And so I, I began to say, Lord, uh, I'm going to get rid of the alarm, and I'm going to let you wake me up. And whatever time you wake me up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to commit to you, Lord, that I'm going to get up. I'm not going to lay there. And I've done that. And honestly, you know, I've not been late for anything, uh, but I've allowed him to kind of dictate my you know, when I, when I can, when I wake up and of course I'm, I try to be disciplined with, cause there's a lot of things that affect your work ethic. I mean, your, your, your physical condition, your, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot, there's a lot of things, things you, you got to balance and the better you can balance those, the better output you're going to have. And so, um, a, a lot of that has been, you know, through getting older, you learn you, you, through experience. Um, and I, and I don't necessarily understand the, you know, I, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a business now on my secular job where I, I hire people for work, and and it is very hard to find somebody that wants to work. I think that's more related to a person's values, rather than you know, other you know, not not just a generational thing. I think it's a person's values, yeah. because I, I was matter of fact was telling my daughter today or yesterday we were talking about jobs and. And I said, you know, the Lord has always provided me a job. Now I've not always had jobs I liked, yeah, but I had a job. So I mean, I've I've had to work jobs that I, that haven't been enjoyable, but I've always done them because my values were I'm going to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know if that helps or not, but but I think it, I think it does come down to values, and I think you've got to identify what those are, mm-hmm. because those values will motivate you to do what needs to be done. Yeah, you know, work ethics not. I mean, you got some that just enjoy getting up early. Yeah, I'm I'm more that way. I'm not a I'm not one to sleep in. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a night owl either. Though I'm I mean, if I can, I I get to bed pretty early, but I like to get my day started. And so you know, different personalities. But I think your value is what's going. Your values is what's going to motivate you to to organize your time to get done what needs what needs to be done. All right. Well, I've got one last question, and we'll wrap it up. Okay. If you could speak, if you could speak on a couple things to a young minister's life, I know we've spoken a whole lot, but for the time, for the for the lost people of this world, what w- what would you speak into a young minister if you could? Oh. Um. Don't don't be don't be so hard on yourself. Don't um, value the grace of God. I think I think sometimes, man, we put so much emphasis on our own performance. And I and I understand. You know, we, we want to be vessels. We want to be used of God. But we're human. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, uh, if 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 we don't perform 
to the level that we expect us that we need to, then, you know, we can easily become our own condemnation. And I, I think the enemy, he, he, Brother Stone King wrote a book, uh, Spiritual Gifts, and he, in there he says that the enemy only attacks where he fears the most. And I think if the enemy can attack from the inside out, you know, obviously he wants to keep a lost world lost. And so if he can keep us as a church from the inside, not get outside. And I think if we're not careful, that can start with our own condemnation, our own, you know, I know me personally, I'm my biggest critic by mm-hmm. far. And I'm probably a way too hard on myself, and I and I don't need to be. And that's why I, I mean, I probably this is the reason I'm I'm conveying that now to a young minister is, don't be so hard on yourself. The weight of the world should not be on your shoulders. You know, mm-hmm. it's and again, this is not my church. You, you will rarely ever hear me say my church, and I do that intentionally because it's not my church. Yeah. This is his church. church. The outcome he determines the results. I can't make nobody do anything. I cannot give anybody the Holy Ghost. I can't save anybody. All I can be is what we've, what, as we've talked about, available, uh, surrendered, submitted to God. Obviously, that's consecrated to Him. That's what I, I, I do that. But everything else, the outflow, He determines. And I've got to be okay with whatever that result is. And that's why, you know, if you're in the church, you, you'll hear me say a lot, we're not here to build a crowd. We're here to build a church. The number's not what motivates us. We're not, you know, obviously we like to see a church full because there's a harvest out there that needs to be harvested. You know, if there was nobody out there, we, so I mean, it's not the number. It's just the fact we want to, we want to be productive. We want to be influential. I heard a statement made this week in another podcast. And the question that, that I think he said that God had asked him is if your church did not exist in your community, would your community miss the church? And I thought about that. I thought, wow. You know, some of that, you know, I, I felt conviction too. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, God, I want to, I want to be influential. Yeah. I want to have an impact on our community. But I've got to allow God to be the one to make that impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to go out here and just make a big name for myself. I I want, you know, so, so again, submit to God, surrender to God, uh, realize that the weight, his shoulders yeah. carries that weight, not, not mine. I'm all I am is a vessel that he's going to flow through. So don't be so hard on yourself, value the mercy and the grace of God and, um, and just continue to strive to make yourself available. That's great. Well, that wrap up, that wraps up our old bows and crooked arrows podcast thank you pastor for sitting down and answering questions for us tj i appreciate the invitation uh it's been it's been enjoyable and love to do it again sometime yeah praise god god bless you amen thank you for listening to the old bows and crooked arrows podcast i ask you to please follow me on instagram at tjwade.ap for more information on this podcast for when new episodes come out um i am posting this through the anchor um website or app so it'll go to all sorts of places this podcast will um of course i was sitting down with my pastor jeff wells we ended up talking for probably about i'd say maybe another hour after this and it was just great the insight and wisdom that he had and gave to me 
Um, so I will be reaching out to more ministers. Um, I can't tell you how often an episode will be just because it's people in every episode. Um, it's going to be a new minister more than likely. Um, so I ask you to reach out. If there's anything, any tips or tricks you have for me, please let me know. And other than that, um, God bless you. And I pray that God will bless you and your family and through the hearing of this podcast. In Jesus' name.